Welcome to the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast from the Institute of Transportation Engineers. Each month, we'll bring you conversations with thought leaders in transportation on the future of the industry. for joining us for another episode of the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast. I'm your host, Bernie Wagenblast. There are many components to reducing roadway deaths and improving safety. A key part is leadership. One national leader is Jennifer Homendy, who has chaired the National Transportation Safety Board since August 2021. On this month's podcast, we're going to discuss how safety leaders from all levels need to come together to achieve zero deaths and why roadway safety is not only a professional interest for Chair Hamadi, but a personal one as well. Chair Hamadi, welcome to ITE Talks Transportation. Thank you very much, Bernie, for having me. Very excited to be here. Well, we're certainly excited to have you as our guest. A lot of what we tend to do in our first episode of a new year is focus on leadership. And certainly you have a leadership position, not just in terms of your chair role at the NTSB, but overall in transportation. And you're one of many, though, uh, leaders in transportation around the country and the various states and even worldwide. Tell us a bit about the importance of leadership when it comes to trying to keep Americans safe on the roadway and how that effective leadership at all levels is going to be critical to getting us to the point where we hopefully will get to zero deaths on our roadways. Yeah, and you said the magic words, uh, zero deaths is the goal. You know, we have to have safety champions at all levels, and that includes leadership from federal government to state and local governments, and also in the public. And, you know, when you have safety champions that are all moving forward together toward the same goal, there's more likelihood that there'll be success in saving lives. So, and when I talk about safety champions and leadership, it's not just heads of agencies like me. When I talk about the public, I'm thinking of, you know, leaders in communities, tribal nations, diverse partners at the table really helping us succeed. So leadership is critical. You have to have a diverse group of leadership to really uh, get to that goal of zero. How do these various leaders, do you think, best come together since this is a joint goal, but there are obviously different approaches to reaching that goal? How do you bring these various leaders together to focus on that goal, if you will, please? Yeah, it's a great question because I've been a little bit concerned, Bernie, with just how splintered we are right now. We all are turning toward a safe system approach, which is really a holistic approach to address traffic safety, looking at our infrastructure, looking at speeds, looking at how safe our vehicles are, and of course, road users, and the role of uh, emergency responders in that as well, uh, more of a comprehensive approach. And we're all advocating for that, but I think we are all a bit focused on the goal in different ways. We are all sort of moving at our own speeds and at our own direction. And I do think there has to be a better way 
to bring folks together, whether it's NTSB, all the leaders at DOT, different leaders on state levels and within local communities. And again, you know, as I talked about outside entities as well, to really figure out how do we do this in a coordinated fashion? And I don't see that happening right now. It certainly is happening in some communities, but to reach the broader goal of zero deaths on our roads and also reducing serious injuries, we're gonna to have to work on this together and bring together all, all those different leaders and safety champions to all coordinate and get moving towards the same goal. The NTSB, as I think a lot of the listeners know, does not have power to mandate changes. It's in many ways, you have the power of the bully pulpit to try to convince people of the importance of various recommendations that you make. How do you use that power to convince people since you can't mandate various things that you feel would clearly improve the situation when it comes to highway safety? Yeah, I think we have a lot of safety partners, which is great. So after a significant crash, after our final investigative report is issued, we'll issue a set of safety recommendations which are aimed at preventing such a future tragedy, making sure it doesn't happen again. And we'll work with, say, a company that might be involved. Recently, we worked with UPS and FedEx to improve safety when there was a crash in Pennsylvania. There, we do see a lot of success in that well over 80, 85% of our recommendations are implemented voluntarily by those who receive it. Others take longer. We'll also issue safety recommendations to federal agencies, some of which are never implemented, which can be frustrating. Uh, but we try to work with the federal agencies to uh, see that those move forward. And when that doesn't occur, sometimes Congress comes in and acts. But you know, I've maintained that it shouldn't take an act of Congress to improve safety. It should be something that everybody is working towards because in the NTSB's view, one death is too many. So we should do all we can to prevent that. But we do have, I will say, we do have the bully pulpit and I have I've not been shy, Bernie, about being very <laughs> vocal about my opinions on safety and our recommendations at the NTSB. But I think part of being a leader of a safety organization is not, or really any leader, is not being afraid to do the right things, to do the hard things, and to the, say the hard things. That is my duty, my responsibility, my sworn duty as somebody who was, you know, nominated and confirmed by the U.S. Senate to protect public safety. So it's my job to do that, and I take that very seriously. But I will say, and, and you know, let me back up a little bit because it's not just a job for me. For me, it's a passion. Mm -hmm. I'm very passionate about safety, particularly road safety. And so it's a bit personal for me because I care about people. And we at the NTSB meet people on the worst day of their lives. Mm -hmm. And you don't forget that. So it's up to me and the agency 
and others to be willing to speak out and uh, give a voice to those who no longer have one. I'd like to dig a little deeper on that, Jennifer. You talk about the passion that you have. As again, many listeners know, the NTSB is involved with all modes of transportation, but you've put a lot of your personal time and attention to issues around highway safety more than some of your predecessors have. Why is that such a passion when, again, there are so many things that are going on, but that area seems to be a particular area of interest for you. So tell me a little bit more about that, if you would, please. Yeah, it's true. You know, I spent uh, 14 years in the House of Representatives as a staff director focused on railroad safety, oil and gas pipeline safety, and hazardous materials safety on all modes of transportation. So I'm really passionate about all modes of transportation, but I do have a particular passion on road safety. I've seen the most recent numbers that came out on the the first nine months of 2022, uh, about a slight reduction. I think it was 0.2% reduction in fatalities on our roads, but just using 2021 numbers, 43,000 people are dying annually on our roads, 43,000 people. That comes out to about 117 people every single day. It's a growing public health crisis, and that doesn't even count the millions of others that are seriously injured, some of which are so serious, those are lifetime injuries or you know, and I'm talking, when I talk about injuries, I'm talking everything from physical injuries to mental health as well, because uh, you can, uh, and I know this from my, from experiencing being hit by a, a vehicle over a year ago, you know, you can suffer from PTSD after such a horrific crash. So I will say, um, I, I do have a passion for people. I have met many families in my job, both at the NTSB and prior to the NTSB, that uh, who, whose kids or brothers or sisters or cousins were victims in significant accidents or crashes. And I say the word accidents or crashes, and let me stop here for a second, because I know I'll hear from others. In other modes of transportation, the a word is accidents, not in traffic safety. It's always a crash. But I have to be mindful that there's not a pipeline crash. There's a pipeline rupture, pipeline incident. And so, you know, the the verbiage is a little different depending on the mode, which is why I use both. Mm -hmm. Anyways, going back to the the point, uh, I think most of my motivation comes from working with families over the years and for road safety, Just so much tragedy occurs on our roads, and we need every champion out there really talking about this growing crisis and doing all they can do to save lives. I will say what's interesting, Bernie, is I have such a passion for road safety. I decided during the pandemic to go back to school and get a master's degree in essentially road safety from Clemson University. And... The whole reason I did that is because I believe our learning as leaders should not end. We should Mm -hmm. constantly be challenging ourselves to really look at the best solutions and learning all we can to be effective for the public. Uh, So that's why I did that. But you can tell whether it's in my professional life or personal life, 
uh, I have, have a big passion on uh, traffic safety issues. This month, you spoke at the Transportation Research Board's annual meeting, and one of the topics that you touched on was about electric vehicles, not the environmental benefits of electric vehicles, but the increased weight that they have over their gas-powered counterparts. And you talked a little bit about unintended consequences. While you certainly weren't dismissing the idea of the importance of trying to improve the environment and what the electric vehicles may bring to that, there is the other side of it that it increases the weight of these vehicles, which obviously increases the forces in a crash to a much greater extent than a gasoline-powered vehicle. I think about some of those unintended consequences with a lot of the different things that involve transportation that we see concerning technology. We have so much technology now inside our cars, on our phones, things of that sort. And when these are proposed, they're promoted as these wonderful features that will save time and, and give us information instantly and such. But the unintended consequence side of those is that they distract us from what we're supposed to be doing when we're behind the wheel. Yeah. How do you, you deal with those unintended consequences in areas like that where people want to embrace these changes? But like I say, unfortunately, until there's a crash, a lot of times people don't appreciate how dangerous it is to be doing these things that distract their attention. Yeah, uh, you know, some some great examples there that you gave, uh, Bernie. I do have a concern, and I did talk about electric vehicles, and, and I do want to state, I do think, you know, there's no doubt the transportation sector is the biggest contributor to uh, U.S. greenhouse gas emissions, and something needs to be done. But there are intended unintended consequences of some policies, including an increased weight in electric vehicles, uh, significant increases. I talked about the Hummer and the weight of the battery pack alone is the weight of a Honda Civic. It's just shy of maybe 10 pounds of the Honda Civic. You know, Ford F-150 is 2000 pounds heavier when you're talking about the electric vehicle. But the technologies you're talking about, Bernie, you know, where we now have these infotainment systems in our car, that all of a sudden your passengers can play games with, or you're manipulating, you know, with your fingers, a computer screen while you're driving, not to mention you've got your cell phone and everything else. And then you've got technology on your vehicle. Let's just take my vehicle. I have a, a Subaru Crosstrek, which I love, but it has auto cruise control which I do use often. I do find that when I can set the speed limit as the at the speed limit, there is no doubt I'm going to stay there. And it does a great job of slowing down when it needs to slow down if a car is in front of me. But it, it does have uh, other level two technology, which does auto steer. I know, Bernie, that if I were to use auto steer, because I've tried it once or twice, I would be very distracted. I mm -hmm. I would not pay the most amount of attention that I should. And so I don't use it, but that's me. You know, other people might be able to, but I do worry about that where we have seen crashes where people have been distracted or decided to do something else while uh, you know, the car was using that type of level two technology to operate. And 
With all those vehicles comes a warning and very fine print on a manual that most people don't read that says you have to stay engaged. This mm -hmm. vehicle isn't in driving itself. But I don't think a lot of people pay attention to that. And I do think there's a responsibility by companies to market those technologies in the right way, saying they're you know, fully self-driving or, you know, even Apple CarPlay, sometimes they advertise, oh, this is safer, you know, use it this way uh, instead of using your cell phone. It's not. These vehicles are three to 5,000 pound vehicles on average. It is not a cell phone, a laptop, an iPad. This is a vehicle that can kill other people. So this idea that you can just kind of zone out and do whatever you want to do is just false. You really have to be engaged at all times and really focused on the driving task. We talked at the beginning of the podcast about leadership, and I think there we were talking primarily about individual leadership and people who are, are leading various governments at national, state, and local levels. But there's also the question of how countries can exhibit leadership. And when it comes to roadway safety, the United States is often lagging behind other countries around the world. Why do you think that is? And what can we do to kind of close that gap between the U.S. and these other nations around the world that do have safer road systems? Yeah, we have a I was speaking with somebody from Finland not too long ago who works in the government there, and she and I both agreed well, the U.S. Is, has a very car-centric culture uh, versus other countries that the car is just one mode of transportation. Bicycles and walking is really focused on, as well as transit, trains. So other modes of transportation, really great alternatives are highlighted and not just equal, even more of a focus in other countries. And you have infrastructure that facilitates that and investment in that infrastructure at pretty high levels. I was just in Finland last June and I couldn't believe it. You know, I walked up to an intersection and a car stopped. It was a pretty major intersection. <laughs> car stopped and was like, go, you know, and so, you know, very nicely and politely. And I thought, wow. And, you know, I'm walking in a separated pedestrian lane alongside the road. And then there's a bike lane there as well that's also separated. And I just thought, this is fantastic. Contrast that with a few weeks later when I was in Florida and, you know, I'm trying to cross the street and there's these big signs that say, you know, moving traffic has to yield to pedestrians. It probably took me seven, eight minutes to cross that street because nobody was stopping, mm -hmm. you know? So I think about, We've designed our infrastructure and our entire transportation system around vehicles, and it's not for the safety of whether it's, you know, vehicles or other road users. And when I, who I'm talking about there is pedestrians, cyclists, motorcyclists. We've designed our roads so that vehicles can get somewhere fast, the most efficient and fastest way to get there instead of really looking at all road users and what we need. So that's why the NTSB is a big proponent of the safe system approach, where we're focused on looking at our infrastructure and how 
to improve our infrastructure to accommodate all road users. And the reason why I don't use the word safe roads, which is part of the safe system approach, I use the word safe infrastructure. And I'm actually hoping that the community will start transitioning to that as a component of safe system because transit and inner city passenger rail play a significant part of saving lives on our roads. If you can get people, and the Secretary of Transportation said it this week, if you can get people to move off the roads and uh, safely get to work or navigate their personal lives using you know, the subway or rail, that will save lives on our roads. So I'm hoping that's a transition at some point in the future. But, you know, I look at the new figures that just came out, and while overall fatalities are a little bit lower, I'm looking at 8% increase in deaths of cyclists, 5% increase among motorcyclists, and 2% increase of deaths among pedestrians compared to 2021. And so, you know, we still have significant issues out there. And that's why, you know, we need to get away from just cars, 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 and or just automobiles in general, because that it also includes trucks. We really need to look at our system and gear our investment and our policies towards all road users. Jennifer, I want to wrap things up by asking a question about what you just talked about, the safe system approach. ITE has been a champion of that, and they've been working with USDOT and other partners to implement this at all different levels. What advice or recommendations would you have for leaders looking to implement this approach? Yeah, great question. And I really thank ITE for their leadership. You all have been real leaders in this area, so thank you. I've said this, which is why I took a particular issue on personally, don't start with the false premise that 94% of crashes are due to human error. Too many times in states and among local governments and even on the federal level, we tend to think, oh, it's just a driver and we can educate and enforce our way out of this. That's not true. First of all, NHTSA never said any that 94% of crashes are due to human error. It's sort of been skewed. The reason why that's a problem is when you do that, you tend to take a very narrow look at what improvements are needed, which is what we've done over the last several decades. We focus on a single point of failure, the driver, hoping that that single point of failure would just make better decisions. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, we still need education. We still need fair and equitable enforcement, but we need to look broader than that at investing in safe infrastructure, setting, having localities be able to set safe speed limits, having manufacturers develop, build, manufacture safe vehicles at affordable prices for all, and looking at the role of post-crash care, which is definitely needed because when a crash does occur, you want to make sure that our emergency responders are best positioned to save a life. And also, I do believe having good data as part of that. So, you know, I'd say to to folks who are just sort of starting out on the advice, not just focusing on, on the driver and looking very broad, but also looking at the data, using road safety audits, assessments to really figure out what improvements are needed. And biggest of them all, I think if you wanna make improvements, 
bring together a broad array of champions because you're going to need buy-in. You're going to need buy-in from a broad group of people to make that safety improvement and bringing them in at the beginning is what is going to help you see success. Our guest on this episode of ITE Talks Transportation has been Jennifer Hamandy. She is the chair of the National Transportation Safety Board. Chair Hamandy, thanks so much for being our guest. Thanks so much, Bernie.